Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to share my podcast with my uncle, Tony McGinnis, the CEO of Global Packaging, where they design and manufacture health and personal hygiene products, household products, food, fresh frozen snacks, baked goods, paper goods, pet food, and more. So Tony is my mom's little brother by eight years. They also have five other amazing siblings. Tony has had an incredible entrepreneurial journey that I've been wanting to share for so long, and I'm so happy I finally get to. So after graduating from college, he began his career in the packaging industry in 1980 at his dad's company called Linking Graphics. And then at the age of 28, he decided to take a risk and start his own company called Cage Graphics. Tony started out with 750,000 in sales in his first year. Fast forward to today, 40 years later, Tony's company now has close to 100 million in sales, making him a proven leader in the industry. Throughout our interview, Tony provides us with skills on how to navigate adversity, listening, raising children. He has three awesome kids who are also my cousins, Megan, Patrick, and Kevin, taking risks, being a leader, and so much more. And most importantly, he gives a tremendous amount of credit to his wife and partner, Eileen. Hope you guys enjoy. So welcome, Uncle Tony, to the podcast. <laughs> I've been wanting to feature you for a guest for quite some time, as we just were talking about. So I'm excited to finally feature you. And just so listeners know, it's Tuesday, May 11th. We're both fully vaccinated, and we're doing the interview in person. You're actually my first in-person interview since COVID. Um, and so the listeners know how we're connected. You're my uncle, my real uncle. I've had some other quote-unquote uncles on, such as Uncle Use Wolfington, Uncle Use Mita, but you're, we're actually, you know... Blood. <laughs> <laughs> not that they're not blood. They're like second or third cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're my mom's little brother by eight years, I think. Mm-hmm. And you both are one of seven kids. You're all super close, all live in the area, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, so it's going to be really fun. And I've never had anyone in the packaging industry, and it's mm-hmm. thriving right now. So it's going to be fun to learn about that. But before we dive into the business side, I'd love for you to start off by uh, providing us with a little bit of background on where you grew up, went to school, how you met Eileen, all that good stuff. So I'll let you take it away. Okay. Well, we thanks, Steph. Um, I was raised in Flowertown, Pennsylvania. Like Stephanie said, I was the younger brother of of five siblings and the older brother of one. So we have. Uh, I was number six out of seven. Uh, we all went to church every Sunday with uh, St. Genevieve's Church, and uh, some of us went to St. Genevieve's for a little while and. Some of them finished up at St. Jen's. I finished up at Norwood, Norwood Academy, and then I went to LaSalle High School. And from LaSalle High School, I went to St. Michael's College, which is in Winooski, Vermont. Uh, I, I liked hockey and ice hockey and skiing, so I went up there and, and um, had a great four years up there as well between the St. Joe's nuns, the Christian brothers, and the Edmonites at St. Michael's. <laughs> that was a big uh, basis of the foundation that I formed as a person. And when I went on, went on to meet Eileen, who I'd met when I was 15, but she actually didn't want to go out with a freshman in, uh, in high school when she was a sophomore, although we are the same age. <laughs> we, uh, we, we ran into, a, in, into each other again 10 years later, and, and uh, just last week we celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary. So that was cool. a, uh, that's, that's almost 50, it'll be 50 years next year in um, December that we've been that we've known each other so and she's always been uh, my biggest fan so she's been a big help and then um, being one of seven children um, 
can you talk about your parents a little bit and what sort of influence they had on all of you? Because you're all great kids. Well, you're they, all so close-knit as siblings, too. The, you know, they both obviously had, I think, had uh, significant influence on, on us. Um, we were just talking a, a little bit earlier about self-confidence. My mother gave all of her kids self-confidence. My father was very pragmatic and practical. He gave you, he gave you, he, he uh, gave you straight advice and and uh, and and basically just follow your moral compass. The right thing to do is how you, is how he operated, and that worked out good. So that's what I learned uh, to be self-assured from my mother and to and to be very practical for my father. Nice. And then um, when you graduated St. Michael's, um, did you know right away that you wanted to? Go work for your dad at Lincoln Graphics, or well, I graduated and uh, the interest rates were eighteen and a half percent, and unemployment was in double digits in nineteen eighty. Okay. Uh, I wanted to. I, I knew I wanted to. It, it, in nineteen eighty, I knew I wanted to be in, involved in something of my own, but I couldn't quite figure out how to do that. Uh, I, I ended up uh, coming back to Philadelphia from college and working with my father for three or four years before I came upon the opportunity at Cage Graphic Arts. But I. And, and if I had my druthers, I'd rather have worked for somewhere else when I got out of college because I didn't feel like working for, I didn't want to be the owner's son. Okay. So that's, that was something that, that I, that I, that was a little bit hesitant going to work for him. Right. Um, and then at what age did you decide to leave there? Um, cause I think, so you started out with your dad, Lincoln Graphics, mm -hmm. and then you left. Why did you leave to create your own company? Well, like I said, I, I've always I used to drive around thinking I wanted to own car washes and laundromats because I knew there was a lot of cash floating around. I was a kid when I was thinking that. <laughs> but I just always wanted to have my own business. But at the same time, working with my father was a, was a great experience. I had a chance to be involved in all facets of the business, purchasing, customer service, some sales, uh, different different facets that, that actually carried over to actually owning a business. My... my, um, my I, in wanting to work for my, you know, when I went to work for my father, I decided that I was going to outwork everybody in the place. That way they couldn't look at me like I was the owner's kid. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. So I, and at the same time, I, I, was, I was looking around for different opportunities. And one of the opportunities that came up was a business in Philadelphia that, that my father's business, Lincoln, used for making photo engravings. And they were they were a support company for Lincoln Graphics, and they were also owned by three older guys who were going to be getting out of the business, and they were going to leave behind a a, a viable business, a going concern, and uh, and it was a good from a financial standpoint, it was a good deal, and you know we decided we were going to I, I was going to get into business with John Holt, who was working sort of with Lincoln Graphics and Cage Graphics to coordinate the international paper business for Lincoln Graphics. And John ran the rubber plate side of it, uh, Cage did the engravings, and Lincoln did all the billing. So uh, we had this business that was that looked like it was going to be a pretty good thing to, to get our hands on, and, and, we, and so we, uh, we went and got it in 1985. And how, are you, how old were you at that point? Uh, I just turned uh, 28 when we, when we, when we in, in the beginning of October of 80. When we when we took control of the business, I was okay. I was 27 when we signed the agreement of sale. So. And then, were you and Eileen married at that point, or just dating? We were we were we had been married for 
a year and three months. And no kids at that point, right? No kids. No kids. And I talked to Eileen last night, and she said she's the one that really encouraged you to to buy Cage Graphics, right? Well, she and was leave the telling company. me that you know, she, was, she was tired of listening to me talk about what I would do if I was if I owned the place. And I was I was um, always had an idea about what I wanted to do with the business, so she saw it as a good opportunity for me to go do that. Stop stop talking about what I would do. Go do it. Right. So that's what I did um, with her support. Okay, so just so listeners know, so you started at Lincoln Graphics. You learned a lot there working at your dad's company. Mm-hmm. And then you decided to buy Cage Graphics with John Holt and right. go off on your own. So was that a financial risk at, at, at that time? To me, I, I guess I didn't even think of it as a risk. I figured there was nothing going back to self-esteem. I figured there was no way we were going to lose. We were going to we were going to be good at what we were doing, and we were going to, and it was not going to be a problem. I, I actually, we borrowed close to a half a million bucks to buy the place, and we we had gone through eleven different banks before we figured out a deal that could get us the place, and. Um, now we were going to pay that back over over time. We actually we ended up refinancing it, blending and extending, and you know by the time we were all done, you know we had I got plenty of debt now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, the, uh, the the way it worked out was I, I think I, I I just I I don't think uh, dumb is the right word, but we we didn't know any better. Right. So we've taken the risk. It wasn't to us? It wasn't a risk. Eileen Madel was doing very well in her field. She did, she did really well financially. And you no kids yet either. And what's that? You no, no kids, kids at that no point. Kids at, no kids at that point. We did have, we did have a mortgage. That was something we never had. So <laughs> and, um, and so we ended up. You know, we we didn't look at it like it was a lot of risk. We just figured it was life, and so we just went and did it. Um, if there's anyone tuning in that's thinking about starting their own company or going off on their own, what advice would you give to them? I would tell them to find something that looks a little bit like the business they want to be in that, that is a going concern, not not a startup. Okay. Startups are very difficult and risky. Mm-hmm. And the the way to, that I think is the best is to find a, a, a similar business that might be might not be doing so well. And you can get it probably at a better price for that reason. And then you can implement your own ideas to strengthen it. So I would tell them to to look for a diamond in the rough that, 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 that you can shine on your own. Nice. And then, um, so when you guys started Cage Graphics, how many employees did you start with? 13. And how many um, square feet did you have for your office? Uh, I Actually, Holt was in a closet. We put him in a closet, <laughs> which wasn't his idea, but basically that's where he ended up. And then uh, we took the closet apart and he got a bigger office around him. But uh, we had a little 12,000 square foot place down on North 13th Street, right across from the from the morgue, and um, it was not a, it was a it was a funny place. <laughs> the neighborhood of, of, of uh, I don't know what you would call it. it was North North Northern North 13th Street above Vine Street, and it was um, it was pretty pretty crazy back in 1985. <laughs> and when you guys were hiring people, what did you look for? We just wanted people that that, that didn't mind working because one of the things that the business that we bought wasn't good at was seeking out new business and doing everything you could to make sure that you kept it. And number one, you had to win it. Number mm-hmm. two, you had to keep it. And they never had a much interest in working very hard at, at getting new business or, or working on weekends and things like that. And so I changed the culture of the company in that regard. I, want, I, I We were going to go out and we were going to find business and we were going to make sure that 
we had people that were going to be there to, to get it done because we always we always over uh, over promised but we over delivered too we never under under delivered and to do to to deliver on time you have to have the right people and you have to make sure that they're they're that they they get taken care of as they're going along for the ride and so you started out with 13 people and just to listeners now we're gonna we're gonna fast forward a lot up until almost now and now we're at global packaging and I know you guys have almost 300,000 square feet compared to 13,000 where you guys started with. And then how many um, people do you have working under you now? We have 360 employees that are spread out over three different sites, soon to be four different sites. And there's probably about 300,000 square feet, but we're adding on to that and we're going to be growing that as well so very cool we're, we're busy so we talked about um right before we started about managing people you've had to manage a lot of people over the years so what is your style of management people understand that i'm i'm pretty direct i uh I, they always know what i'm thinking i'm very clear about about what my expectations are with employees but i've had a really I'm a, i've had great luck with 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 good people uh pete layman who's my I've uh, been my right hand for the last 40 years almost, since 1987. Um, he's, he's, he's the guy that, that's helped me deal with a lot of the uh, ground-level employee issues, which are, which are important. you got to take care of the hourly people. He's been very helpful at that. And uh, they, all get, they all get reviewed by either my son or me or, or myself, and we review every single hourly employee with their supervisor. They're interviewed, they're, they're reviewed by a McGinnis that tells them what the expectations are relative to safety. We advertise what our benefit program is. We let them know what, what it's worth to them. And we talk about what our expectations are of the employee going forward. And basically it's, you gotta show up and you gotta go to work when you get here. And that's, that, those are two things that they hear from, from the ownership of the business on a regular basis. Every employee is reviewed once a year they get, we give out raises once a year to each employee, and um, they, it's, it's what they have to look forward to from one year to the next, that they're going to make more money the next year than they did the year before. And everyone seems to love it here, too, and it's which a, is it's great. It's a very good retention rate. Yeah. Uh, when, they, when people come here, they, they, they like it. And segueing into that a little bit, I want to talk about leadership, because I talked to Eileen on the phone last night, mm-hmm. and I asked her um, what are the you know, good ingredients of, uh, the ingredients of a good leader, uh, basically what makes you a good leader. And she said that you have vision, you can see things before other people can, and that a lot of times employees may not believe it, but because they like you and trust you, they end up following you, and usually you end up being right too. Um, so I wanted to talk about leadership in that fashion and what you think a, makes a good leader. Well, I, 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 one of the things I always tell people when when we're having, we have company meetings with all the employees and all the departments, on a month, well, before COVID, we'd have them on a monthly basis. We have a general meeting once a year, and I talk to people about what we're going to be doing over the next year, what we did the last year, what we're going to be doing the next year. I always say, if you can't see what the business is going to be doing three or four years out, you're in the wrong business. And 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 actually, the first business that I was in, Cage Graphics, I sold that business mainly because I couldn't tell you where that business was going to be in five years. I knew it was going. To, I knew it was changing. I knew there was a lot of things going on in it, and it didn't change necessarily that much over the next that next five years. But at the same time, it was different. It had become commoditized. Our service uh, was was always something that 
that we that was not a commodity. It was something that people added value to when they were looking at the overall value equation. But we we just couldn't. We you know the way it worked out. These guys, uh, I couldn't tell where that business was going to be. The business I have now, global packaging, I see us being being able to do what we're doing now for the next several years at least. So so from a leadership standpoint, being able to see the field going. Looking, looking down the road as far as you can is something that I've been able to do pretty well over the years, I guess. And that's, that, that, is a, that is something that people, people see when they're working with a company. And they also, I always tell people, when you, see that, when you see that not going on anymore, us taking risks, getting into big, uh, you know, getting into new technologies that are, that are things, something that not many other people are doing, we, be, we become really good at it. And that we become the people that, you know, that 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 customers want to go to in the industry. So for the personal hygiene business, we're the go-to guys in North America because we we buy the best technology and we have really the best people that, that work it. And then speaking of risk, can you talk about that a little bit too? Because I think a lot of people are afraid to take risk. And we were just talking about this before the interview started with Megan and everything, um, and why taking risk um, in your business career is important to do and not to fear it. Well, it's, 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 are you, when I talk to bankers, bankers bring in different people as, uh, as part of the team equation that they offer to, to us. I, I look for, I, I, I always tell the underwriters who are the guys that are the risk management guys that I'm their main underwriter. I'm the guy, I'm the, I want to number one, know that I can pay for something before I buy it. That way I feel more comfortable because when, in our business, it's not, you know, it's, it's more of an, if you build it, they will come type business. People don't like lending four million dollars to buy a brand new printing press if you don't have any business. In our business, if we if we get that press, we will fill it up. Bankers have a tough time getting that or wrapping their arms around that type of risk. But that's that's the type of risk that, that we've always had. We 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 know that we 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 know what the good technology is. We go out and we buy it. If we can't buy it, we finance it. So financing becomes risk. But at the same time, if you're buying the right stuff and you got the right people to run it, it's, it's going to pay for itself pretty quickly. And that's been the equation we've used for a long time, and it worked well. It's worked well. Um, and then I also want to talk about grit. I always talk about that on my podcast. So Angela Duckworth, she's from Philly, and she wrote the book Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And here's a quote from the book. She says, to be gritty is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. To be gritty is to hold fast to an interesting and purposeful goal. To be gritty is to invest day after week after year in challenging practice. To be gritty is to fall down seven times and rise eight. So over the past 40 years, you've built a lot of companies. So what does the word grit mean to you and how have you applied it to building your companies? Well, look, we wouldn't be where we are today without without grit because really what it boils down to is you're basically the guy in the coal mine swinging the ax 24-7. You got to be doing that all the time especially when you're when you're when you're running a business that's a growth business that you want to continue to grow and, and that you want to you want to see see continue to grow and you want to make sure the people that are in the business are continuing to grow so that, so the grit that you need to do that is a 24/7 deal it's not something you turn on and turn off people have to see it they have to see that that you come in to work and, and you're the guy that's in here when it's when it, on a snow day you're the guy that's in here when that you know when when things are really crazy outside and there's a lot going on, and the people the people that are the gritty people show up and they just get the work done. And we got a lot of gritty people that work at Global Packaging. I've worked with them for a long time, and 
and they understand what grit is. You just got to keep at it day after day. Love it. Love it. Um, okay, so I want to touch on your latest company, Global Packaging, um, which you've been running since 2007. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Give or take? Okay. Because yeah. um, like I said, yeah, we could touch on every chapter, but unfortunately we don't have, have time for that. But we touch on linking graphics mm-hmm. where you started out with your dad. And then um, in 85, about three years later, you started Cage Graphics. Right. You know, fast forward until now. Now you're overseeing global packaging. Mm-hmm. So given that you were a proven leader in the industry for plus or minus 40 years, I thought it would be mm-hmm. uh, interesting and beneficial for listeners if you provided us with some more valuable life advice. So um, persevering through adversity. I think a lot of people put my guests on pedestals because of all the success they've had. But as you know, we're all human and we all face failure in life. So can you tell us about a time in your career where you failed, persevered, and how it made you stronger? The, the, I, I, we were talking, when I saw this preliminary uh, outline of what we we're doing here today, Steph, mm-hmm. I, I thought about the, the failure part that you put here, which is something I just, I, I've, I've never failed, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I failed once, but I was wrong. Anyway, um, I, we, we lost our biggest customer twice, at least twice, that I can think of in the past 35 years, 36, 37 years. We've, we've had instances where we, we had a, a very large customer. We were doing a lot for them and for different reasons, not necessarily service related, they, they decided that they were going to move that business or, or internalize that business themselves. And that, that, that taught us a couple of things. We had, to, we had to be careful of who we were dealing with and what their business was going to look like going down the road so that we knew whether or not they were going to be a long-term customer or a short-term customer. It opened your eyes to that type of thing. Because you never think that, that they can do without you, but everybody can do without you. So you have to have a moderate amount of fear, and you have to be making sure that you're doing everything you can to get to, to, to understand what your customer's businesses are and, 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 the, and the arena that they play in so that you can better understand what their long-term prospects are. Those two, those two instances taught me that, to understand who you're doing business with, what their prospects are going forward, and how, how you would be impacted one way or the other if, if they weren't there anymore. So we, so we just forced us to diversify as much as possible, get as many, many uh, customers making up the percentage of sales, and, and try to minimize the impact of one customer. Never been able to really do that completely, because we've always had one customer that's been bigger than the others, and uh, but you have to have that. You have to be mindful of those things because one day you might wake up and they might not be here. <laughs> um, and then segueing into that, can you talk about why failure is important and why we shouldn't fear it? Well, you have to you have to understand certain things about about your business and and about I guess it all translates into life. At the same time, you, you know you. You, you see this stuff that, that's happened, and if you can get past it, it makes you stronger. Because now you have you realize that you got to get more customers. You got to realize you got to get some diversity. You realize you got to protect the people you're working with. Because that's the that's the that's the, the fallout from losing businesses. You 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 people's people's livelihoods are impacted. So that so those are all things that, that are really important. I've learned a lot about that. That, that livelihood is. You know, if you're starting, if you if you want to hire somebody, take your time to hire them because if you have to get rid of them, you don't want to be the person that lets them down. They may be taking a risk with you, so you got to make sure you make their risk safe. Right. 
Um, and then Yus Mito, who I had on the podcast, he's the owner of the Icona Hotel down in Avalon. Um, he talked about how good principles, good business principles don't die. Um, so what are some of the core business principles that you've built at Global? One of the ones that, as Jimmy McGuire would say, just show up. Showing up for work is a big deal. You have to make sure you're there every day. Uh, again, perseverance. Being able to be the, the guy that's swinging the axe 24-7, you know the other guy's putting the axe down every now and then. So the more you do on a regular basis to chip away at the competition, the less competition you have. That was pretty good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> so the definition of success, in your opinion, what does the word success mean to you? And when you think of the word success, who do you think of? And it can be more than one person. Well, I think that it's a uh, it's it's a type of a it's a term that that, that can ha- mean a lot of different things. You you can be successful in business, but not not have any relationships in, in life because of you know, all the time you spend at your business. So you so you, there's lots of different things that that you have to to learn or or know about um, relative to to where you are. If you're you have to be you have to have an open mind. You have to be able not be closed minded. You have to listen to other people. You have to try and understand what what another side of the coin looks like. Uh, but but to I guess from a leadership standpoint and from a you know you just have to make sure you're you're protecting people. I think is, is I always look at you like you're protecting you, everything you're doing is to protect the business and move forward, protect the people you work with. Mm-hmm. So whatever you, whatever whatever kind of equation that means you know what type of core business principles you need i just think i go back to just the basics just do the right things and then when you think of the word success who do you think of and right. again and it could I, be more than two people more than so, one person so me and my dad was very successful he was he didn't graduate from college but he ran a business that was a a leader in his industry so i guess if, if you want to talk about success you have to be able to to, to have made it i guess over a period of time in, in business and I always liken it to the amount of payrolls we've made. I, I kid around with everybody all the time, but I, you know, we've been in business for 37 years. That's 52 weeks. That's, you know, you can do the math on that, and you end up with, you know, how many payrolls you've made. That's that's success. You know, yeah. I never missed a payroll. People that work in our business here, they if they make a mistake and they run 10,000 pounds of something that has that has the wrong color in it, you know, that's that's a mistake that's that's not success right uh, I, I i look at payrolls i've made i've never missed a payroll that's pretty successful yeah because if i miss one i wouldn't have half the people working here <laughs> so that that's that's successful but like i say my dad was very successful he did a lot of good things he bought the right equipment and he and he treated people right that's a, those are two core principles that i have here and i look at other guys like like jimmy mcguire and and, um, and other people in the business your dad Tony was a very successful guy. They're they're all they all they all they all know their businesses. They all understood their businesses, and they they understood their customers, and they and they outwork the other guy, and and in their own way. So that that's the key. You yeah. gotta all do all that. Love it. And then you talked a little bit about um, family. How you have to make sure you maintain those relationships too, which mm-hmm. you've done a really good job with. Um, so can you talk about the influence Eileen has had on you? Because we talked about her in the beginning, how she encouraged you to take that risk. To start Cage Graphics um, with John Holt, but in what other ways has she been a good partner? Well, she, she's a good listener. I, I I have lots to talk about when I'm talking about the business, and she's got lots to 
lots of uh, lots to say, but but uh, I think you made the comment that to staff to me you told me about you have two ears and a, and a mouth and you should listen twice as much as you talk. And uh, so she's a really good listener, but she also has you know she processes information quickly and and can come back with an opinion about stuff. And I think that's really important is that you don't. You, you you have to make decisions quickly, mm -hmm. not quick. You don't want to make them fast. You just want to make them so that they're not lingering. You have to make because if you don't if you don't if you let things linger, they they just they fester and they turn into other problems. Right. So you want to. I always say if you make ten decisions and nine of them are good, and one's wrong, if you change the one that was wrong, your percentage of good decisions goes up. Right. So instead of being nine out of ten, you're ten out of eleven, and that's a that's a higher percentage. So you have to make decisions. Don't be afraid to make decisions. Eileen helps make decisions when we, we have to make decisions. She's 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 a hundred percent partner, fifty percent partner. So that I way. love it. And then um, you have three kids too. We didn't talk about at all. Um, Megan, Patrick, and Kevin. So how did you balance time between you know running a business and then also um, being a good father? It was hard because I I, I also like to play golf got myself involved in a business. I was involved in country club politics for a long time, but at the same time, I never missed any of the kids' games. I always went to all their games, and, and I, I made the time to do that. So it's, it's, a, it's one of the things my dad was talking about years ago. I never quite understood it, but I understand it now. You have to, you have to understand how to budget your time, manage your time properly. And I, for, for a lot of years, Megan was playing two or three sports. Patrick was playing two or three sports. Kevin was playing two or three sports. They all had schedules. They all... They all were in conflict with each other. One of us would be at one game, the other would be at another. But we always took care of that type of stuff for the kids. And and then we let the kids make their own decisions as well. Not necessarily staying out all night when they were 18 years old, but, <laughs> but, but making decisions about where they thought they wanted to go to high school, where they thought they wanted to go to college, where they wanted to work during the summers, different things like that. And they've all been uh, very successful. I think very successful coming out of college and, and being able to support themselves. So they've they've uh, they've done a good job that way, and and uh, they're in, in their own right. They're all very successful right mm -hmm. now. I think you guys have done a really good job. They all have um, a humble confidence to them, mm -hmm. which is which is great. So um, and and you're right. They've all been super successful in their own ways too. So um, speaking about um, humble confidence and humility. You've had a lot of success, so how do you maintain your your humbleness? Because you're very humble. That's what Eileen tells me. Don't <laughs> don't ever say I. Don't start a sentence with I. <laughs> I like and, that. Uh, I started with I. I. Say I. What do you want to do now? <laughs> That's Eileen. <laughs> but uh, no, don't start a sentence with, with with I. Don't say um like or you know and, and waste your time talking. Yeah, that's it. I mean, don't like I say. It's it's not about you. It's about other people. Like mm -hmm. uh, you know. Obama used to say you didn't build that road. Well, you know, I like to think I built a road, but at the same time, I didn't. I right. understand that. There's a lot of, uh, it's, it's, it's a type of thing. I, I want to say it takes a village. That's Hillary Clinton. I'm actually a Republican, so people understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know what a Republican means these days. No, I know what I know what it means to me. Right, right, right. But, but the uh, no, the, it's. But you got to be humble. I mean, people, people around you, are what help you be successful. I. I always say that the people at Global Packaging, our top, our top 15 people, are as good as the top 15 people in any organization in the country. I think, and because you have, and I'm talking about a manufacturing organization. So, mm -hmm. so you got to go deep with people that have brains, 
and uh, can outthink the competition as well as outwork them. Love it. Um, and just so, just to go back a little bit, so just so people understand all the success you have had, because um, you're humble and you might not say it yourself. So you started out with 13 employees, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In around 12,000 square feet, was it? And now today you have um, around 300,000 square feet and growing. And just so listeners understand what that means, it's four huge industrial buildings. And you said you have, is it 300 employees today or more? Uh, 300 and close to 360, 370 probably. And then what were the sales when you first started in 85? And are you able to disclose what they are today? It was $700,000 in business in, in 1985. And we, we might do $100 million this year. We'll do $100 million in 22, but we will, we'll be close this year. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then this past year has been really good, right? Because um, being in the personal hygiene business and, and the f- food business, uh, both of those were deemed essential businesses. So we we were able to, to keep going as you know as much as we can. So it, was, so it worked out pretty good. Awesome. Um, okay, so Uncle Tony, do you have time for rapid fire questions? Sure. Okay. So, what advice would you give to your thirty-year-old self? Which is how many years ago? I would tell my 30-year-old self to keep doing what you did before. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, given the, the circumstances, I, was, you know, I don't know uh, that I would change things a whole lot. I, I, I learned a lot. I just think I would listen to people more than I listened back then. I was, all, I was, I was very, very stubborn and, and bullheaded and and just led with my chin most of the time. But uh, I would say you gotta listen and maybe slow down your decision-making by a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta make decisions, you gotta keep moving. Yeah. And just, and, and, but I would, I would say I would listen a little bit more and I would, I would uh, make decisions a little more slowly. Yeah, my dad would always say that, don't vacillate. No, you can't vacillate. You mm-hmm. can't move. You got to You got You have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So, and because it shows that you're confident and, and gives people confidence, and that's what you have to do. And how old are you t- again today? Are you able to disclose that? Sixty-two. I'm okay. in my sixty. I'm in my 64th year. <laughs> always one ahead. I'll be. I'll be in my 65th year in August. <laughs> um, and you. Do you have any daily routines that help you conquer the day? I I work out three days a week for for close to an hour every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I, I've, I've always gotten to work before the pandemic at six o'clock in the morning on Tuesdays and Thursdays so I could see every hourly employee in the company over the course of every two weeks. I would be able to see, all. I, if, if I come in at six o'clock I can, and I'm around the time clock, I can, every hourly employee has to come through on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I get a chance to see them all. Love it. And then if you could put one freeze on a billboard, what would it be? Don't worry if the horse is blind, just load the wagon. What does that mean? <laughs> Go get some work and figure out how to get it done. Yeah. You know, it's like the guy in the commercial says, we, then after the guy says, okay, we, we pick you, the guy says, we don't really do that. <laughs> well, we want customers to pick us and give us as much work as they can don't worry if the horse is blind, just load the wagon. Yeah. So we'll figure out how to get it done. That's, that, was, that was our marketing plan for years. We'll figure it out. 
Like you guys always Don't say that, we'll figure it out. Blind, just load the wagon. <laughs> John Madden said that on Monday Night Football or Sunday Night I was listening to him one time. But that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So I'm thinking if I had a choice of what, of the, between that and another one, um, that would be McGuire's line, just show up. Just show up, yeah. So that's, that's as good as, as any. And then if you could gift one book to every person you met, what would it be? This stumps some people, so don't worry if you can think of it. The Bible. The Bible. You know what? A lot of people have said that. Mm-hmm. Use Wolfington said that. It's, a, it's a great yeah. book. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. That or the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible tells you what what how to what to do. The Godfather tells you what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's it. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners? No, I'm just glad here? we had a chance to do this. This is exciting. You know, it's it's. I didn't know where we were going with this. And I. When I it's talk fine, about yeah. all this different stuff, it's it's um, it's interesting. But you're right. You know, we've had, if I think about it, between entity, different entities we've had over the years here, we've probably had 10 or 12 entities. They've all been very successful. And hopefully over the next 10 or 20 years, we can come up with a few more entities that are just as successful. Yeah, 40 years is impressive. If we, actually, it is 40 years. Right. I was thinking about it. It's probably right about now. I, I came back from college in in april of 21 of of 81 that that was 40 years ago i went to work at lincoln in may of of 81 so it's been 40 years for real that i've been doing this stuff and um you know like i say there's always i want to do more so we want to keep it keep it going yeah right that's awesome 100 million dollars in sales is pretty good too that's not bad (laughs) all right (laughs) thanks uncle tony Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success. Or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.